Welcome to Ascend, Inspiration for the Adventure of Life. This is Matthew Messner, and this is episode four of this podcast based on my book called Ascend, Inspiration for the Adventure of Life. You can find my book on my blog at mattmessner.com, or you can find it on Amazon. But when you search for it on Amazon, be sure to include my full first name, Matthew Messner, and the word Ascend, and you will find it there. Well, today I'm excited to share with you a story entitled The Cannibal Cave. This is chapter seven in my book, and it's a travel story. It's a vacation story. When Heidi and I travel together, or actually anytime I travel at all, I like to get off the beaten path. I like to get away from the tourist spots and the the high pressure sales and to see things that are a little bit more local. That was definitely the case when we went to Fiji. This chapter is entitled The Cannibal Cave. Cannibalism is a tragic footnote in the history of Fiji, a place that has historically been called Cannibal Island. The last documented case of cannibalism comes from 1867 when a 35-year-old missionary named Thomas Baker made a cultural blunder and tapped a chief's head with his hand. He and seven Christian companions paid the ultimate price for his mistake. The village responsible for this atrocity has been trying to lift a curse that fell upon them ever since. Fijians say that the practice of cannibalism has ceased since that event. Well, when researching activities to do while in Fiji... I had an old borrowed travel book that described a tour of what was described as huge caves forming an impregnable fortress in Fiji's recent bloodthirsty past. According to the book, the tour included transportation from our resort to the Sigatoka Valley, a river crossing on a raft, a tour of a large cave, and then lunch in the village with a kava ceremony, traditional dancing as well. There was no mention of what we would be served for lunch. (laughs) Well, I looked for a brochure describing the tour at the tourist desk in our resort lobby, and I could not find one there. So I took my travel book to the representative of tourism and told her that we wanted to do this excursion if it was at all possible. She read the description with raised eyebrows before picking up the phone and making a call. She eyed us carefully as she spoke quickly in Fijian. Hanging up the phone, she looked at me and asked, Can you go tomorrow? Sure, I replied. You can pay me now. The transportation will pick you and your wife up in front of the resort tomorrow at 7.30. Don't be late. Oh, I was so excited. I have always enjoyed exploring places that are off the beaten path. The lesser-known sites are often more interesting and lack the commercialization of popular tourist attractions. So the following morning, Heidi and I were ready to go at 7.30 a.m., We sipped our coffees as we waited for the van to pick us up. We had our sunglasses, cameras, cell phones, sunscreen, and sandals. Man, I guess we looked like perfect tourists. The only thing I was missing was a fanny pack. We were excited to get off the resort island and into the real Fiji. I looked around to see if there were any other tourists waiting to go on this excursion, but we were by ourselves. At 7.30 a.m., a dust-covered taxi pulled in front of our resort. I did not really pay attention to it, thinking we would be picked up by a bus or a van. The cab driver stepped out. Matt and Heidi? 
That's us. Are we the only ones going, I asked. I drive you to other city, he answered. Heidi and I laughed and piled into the back of the taxi. This was not what we expected, but we were ready for an adventure. One hour later, we arrived in a town at the mouth of the Sigatoka River, where we stopped for a snack, and we were forced to visit a souvenir shop filled with overpriced wood carvings. While there, a man named Karavi approached us and informed us that he would be our guide and that we would be catching another cab from there that would take us to the caves. It seemed odd, but his friendly smile and demeanor convinced us that this was all part of the plan. We asked him if anyone else would be joining us for the tour. Not today. You are my exclusive guests, he answered proudly. I felt important. I was impressed that we were getting the royal treatment. We slid into Karavi's car and continued further out of town as he talked to us about rugby and the agricultural productivity of the region. The pavement ended, and we began bouncing down a washboard potholed road following the Sigatoka River. Limestone pinnacles jutted out of the jungle, indicating to us that this would be a good place to discover caves. Well, one hour later, we pulled into a village of a one-room cinder block one-room cinder block homes. Many dogs wandered the streets, half-naked children in tattered clothes gawked at us as we drove in. It reminded me of the mission trips I'd been on where I had visited impoverished rural villages in Honduras, Haiti, Bolivia, and Papua New Guinea. At that moment, it became clear to us that there were no other tourists around. I glanced at my cell phone. I had no service. Karavi parked next to a house and announced, here we are. Heidi and I stepped out of the car into the muggy sunshine, squinting as we gained our bearings. Aside from the kids and the dogs, the village appeared to be mostly deserted. First, I will take you to the chief. He has arranged for the raft trip across the river. We followed our guide over a ditch of stagnant water, through a rusty gate, past a snarling mangy dog, and to the front door of a patchwork home sheet metal, plywood, and cement. Remember, do not under any circumstances touch the chief on the head, I nervously joked with Heidi as Karavi knocked tentatively on the front door. My travel book had warned us that the family of the Nabit, or heathen priests, are today the guardians and guides of the caves. A large woman with a big smile opened the door and invited us in. A single-room home had mattresses stacked against one wall. A large, ancient television was on, showing the fuzzy reception of a regional rugby match. A two-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl shyly hid behind their mother and stared wide-eyed at Heidi and I. The chief was a massive man with broad shoulders and thick arms. He sat in a wheelchair in the middle of the room, staring at the television. He glanced at us blankly before speaking to Karavi. The woman served us cups of tang, which we cautiously sipped, uncertain of the purity of the water. After a lengthy dialogue in Fijian, Karavi came back to us and told us that the rafts had been washed away during a flood this past week. The only way to cross the river now was to hire horses and additional guides. Each of us would ride on a horse while holding onto the guide as it swam across the flooded river. We were asked to pay another $50 in cash to the chief for this service. I scowled back at Karavi, incredulous. I had already paid for this tour. 
and it was all-inclusive. It included all transportation, even the river crossing. I explained to him that I had no Fijian money and only 10 U.S. dollars. Does the chief take debit, Venmo, or Square? I asked naively. Karavi nervously went back and told the chief that we did not have the money. He apologized, but there was no hiding the fact that the chief was very displeased. This tour was not fun anymore. I was getting angry, frustrated, feeling as if they were trying to squeeze from me every dollar I had. Without any options, I spoke up. Here's all the cash I have, 10 U.S. dollars. We were told this tour included transport across the river. You can have this $10, but I have nothing else to give you. I handed the chief my foreign currency while feeling anger and frustration over his extortion. Reluctantly, he accepted my money. I thanked him for the tang and went outside to get some air while waiting for the next part of this wonderful tour. Well, moments later, Heidi and Karavi joined me. I'm not easily angered, but at that moment, I was trying to decompress from my frustration. We waited outside in the sun, anticipating the arrival of those who would lead us on this tour. And now would include a horse riding trip. Five minutes later, three malnourished horses came lumbering down the street towards us, ridden by three fierce wranglers riding bareback, with loose reins in one hand and a bamboo crop in the other. A small child appeared out of an alley and gleefully joined our group. Just a side note, I'm not a horse person. I've ridden horses on several occasions, but I've never loved it. I've always felt vulnerable and out of control while riding horses. I've never been thrown from a horse, but at that moment, I felt uncertain, knowing that the horse would be swimming me and my guide across a river that was at its flood banks. We mounted our horses and made our way down a muddy ditch. It was supposed to be a trail and took us down to the river. My confidence in our guides had vanished long ago, and I tried to watch Heidi, eyeing her guide suspiciously. From the corner of my eye, I caught sight of the small boy from the village who was trailing us. Arriving at the riverbank, the muddy water was racing downstream. I could see where the raft had once been located. The twisted frame of an old dock was covered by mud and vegetation from last week's flood. The raft was nowhere to be seen. I knew that the horses could swim, but could they swim with two adults on their backs? I was about to find out. My horse gingerly passed through the mud into the water. The guide smacked it with a bamboo stick. I held on tight as it lurched into the river. We sank in the water up to our thighs as the horse lost its footing and the current swept us downstream. With wide eyes, our horse paddled us forward across the current. A hundred yards downstream, the horse regained its footing and lunged up the steep riverbank into the dense tropical forest. We'd made it across. I awkwardly grabbed the shoulders of my guide to keep from falling off the back of the horse. We rode into a clearing where Heidi soon joined us. We dismounted from the horses and began the hike to the cannibal caves. Looking back towards the river, I saw the boy emerging from the water having swum after us. Well, after hiking for half a mile, we arrived at the base of a limestone cliff. A small stream flowed from the gapping, arch-shaped entrance into a dark cave. Karavi handed us small flashlights and led us through the mouth of the cave. The ceiling declined sharply, requiring us to hunch over as we waded through the stream. 
As we squeezed around a narrow corner, Karavi told us that this was called the pregnancy gap, a part of the cave that one was not likely to fit through if one was pregnant. Once through the gap, the cave opened into a large limestone cavern with beautiful formations of stalactites and stalagmites. Small alcoves called rooms and shelves were carved into the rock walls surrounding the cavern. Karavi explained to us how the tribal warriors would hide on the other side of the gap and slaughter their enemies if they dared to enter the cave. He pointed out the ritual platform where human sacrifices were made. I began to feel a darkness that was darker than that of the cave. As I looked around, I heard someone wading towards us. Out of the pitch black, I was surprised to once again see the child from the village. He'd followed us into the cave. Now it is time to see the oven, Karavi announced. Walking deeper into the cave, our guide pointed us to an amazing limestone formation that was used to cook the victims of the tribe. It looked like a beautiful wood-fired pizza oven. Karavi mentioned that the oven was still full of human bones, although the skulls had all been stolen or taken to museums. To our shock, at that moment, the boy crawled out of the oven with a large bone in his mouth, posing enthusiastically for a photo. I asked Karavi, So are you saying that he has a human bone in his mouth? A femur to be exact, he responded. Now I would like all of you to turn off your flashlights to experience true darkness. Imagine how you would find your way out of here without light. Before turning off the lights, Heidi answered quickly, I would just follow the water. It would lead us out. Very good, said Karavi, although I felt he may have been disappointed that Heidi knew the answer to his riddle. As we turned off the lights just long enough to experience the complete darkness of this place of historic bloodshed, at this point I was ready to get out of there. I was eager for lunch. I did not want to be lunch. We followed the water with our guide and exited the cave into the bright light of the early afternoon sunshine. As we were reunited with our horses, I began to wonder if there had been more recent occurrences of cannibalism than the fateful incident with Thomas Baker in 1867. I knew that I needed to do some more research. Once across the river, my cell phone vibrated as messages appeared in my inbox. To my surprise, I'd picked up a faint signal and reception. I seized the opportunity and quickly Googled, cannibalism in the world today. Immediately an article popped up. Nine places across the world where cannibalism is still alive and well. As I clicked on the article, it confirmed my gut feeling. To my great alarm, the list included the Nahihi Caves, Sigatoka, Fiji. I read on, the practices have almost died out in recent years, with the exception of the Nahihi Caves, home of the last human-eating group on the island. The article included a gory photograph confirming this allegation. Oh my, I thought, this is where we are. This article is about the people we're with right now, and they're taking us to lunch. Once off our horses, I quickly walked over to Heidi and showed her the article. She laughed. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. But you can believe some things on the internet, I rebuffed. After all, the evidence that these people had a unique taste in barbecue was starting to add up. 
in my overactive mind, our walk slowed as we made our way back to the village. We're going back to the chief's house for lunch, Karavi informed us. For lunch and traditional dancing, correct? I asked. There will be lunch. Maybe we will drink some kava. Kava is a traditional drink that is also a mild narcotic sedative. No, I thought, they are not going to drug me and then bash me in the skull. Once again, we went across the ditch of stagnant water, through the old gate and into the one-room house of the chief. He'd not moved since we'd left hours earlier. The chief's wife welcomed us and handed us brown bag lunches. They consisted of egg salad sandwiches, potato chips, and a slice of watermelon. There was no dancing. There were no festivities. There was no kava ceremony. The chief remained transfixed by the rugby game on TV. I wondered what he was thinking. I wondered if he was hungry. I wondered when he had last tasted human flesh. I wondered how soon we would get out of this village. I wondered if I could get a refund for this tour. Ten minutes later, we expressed our thanks, avoided touching the chief's head, and loaded ourselves back into the cab. As we drove away, I noticed the boy standing in the middle of the road watching us with a disappointed look on his face as we faded into the distance. We had survived our visit to the cannibal cave. Romans 16 verse 19 says, Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And James 4, 7 and 8 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. A couple questions for consideration. Discernment is this gift, spiritual gift, the ability to recognize good and evil, right and wrong. Have you ever used discernment? And have you ever failed to use discernment? What happened in those situations? Or have you ever felt too close to the presence of evil for comfort? How did you respond to what you were feeling? So that was one of the highlights of our trip to Fiji. True story. I find it to be very interesting. It was very interesting to be there, to have all those experiences unfolding, including the authentic human bones being put in the mouth of the child in the oven where these things took place and then to have my phone work and to show immediately show that this place according to this one article was one of the last remaining cannibalistic tribes in the world well actually i don't think we felt too fearful and it was a very memorable trip let's just say that much and this is a true story, and I think just a good reminder to be wise and to be cautious, you know? Things could have turned out differently for us. Hey, if you enjoyed this story, I would encourage you to pick up the book Ascend, Inspiration for the Adventure of Life. You can find it on Amazon, or you can go to my blog at mattmessner.com. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at matt.messner at gmail.com. And again, I hope you enjoyed this. I will be uh, continuing this podcast and will be discussing and probably reading one-third of the stories that are found in that book. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more.